0: I'm Matt Booker.
1: I'm Dave Laird. I'm William Butler. You can kill me, but the legalities of eating me are quite a bit dicier. I'm Bill and the giant Sitco signs
2: like a triangular star to steer by, here in the Great Concavity.
3: Oh, yes gentlemen welcome to episode 36 of the great concavity we are very psyched for a very special episode featuring two bills uh we're going to call Will, one bill and one william uh, this is the first time matt i think we've ever had two guests on the show at the same time so very special episode
0: yeah i think if you don't if you don't count our yeah, uh, conference don't. wrap-ups at the yes. same
3: time like ready to yeah, rock yeah. <laughs> welcome bill welcome william thank great you to have you guys on thanks for coming thank you very much great to be here Excellent. Uh, So Bill Atanzi, you've been on the show before, specifically a recent episode featuring Uh um, the Oz Wallace conference. So you got to talk to Nick Maniatis and uh, some other of our friends down there. Very cool. Uh you've also been at every Wallace conference I've ever been to. <laughs> all f- all four. So uh we're 4 for 4. Yeah. <laughs> you've probably been to more that I haven't been to as well.
2: Yeah, I've been to I like them. So I it's Wallace has taken me around the world very very unexpectedly. And uh No kidding. Yeah. Enjoy it. Awesome. Yeah. So Bill, you are a, you're a, an academic scholar.
3: You have done uh some film work related to Wallace and to Infinite Jest. Um and the main sort of goal uh, topic of this show is we're going to be talking about mapping Infinite Jest. And you have some great experience with that because you do a walking tour of Boston based on the novel Infinite Jest.
2: Sure. I, I need to correct you. I play an academic scholar. I, I'm a, I make my living as a video editor, writer, and producer. Um, yeah. I've also been a playwright, and I have done um, some fellowships here and there. Um, and one of the great things about this Wallace experience is that I I, I get to dip into uh, one of my um, careers I would have liked to have had, which is as an academic scholar. So I um, <laughs> sort of worked my way into being being one um, in terms of Wallace. And yeah, I um, I mean my work uh, with the Wallace's tour of Boston uh, really comes out of Bill or William B- uh, Butler's work, uh, Infinite Atlas. I don't nice segue. Sure, I would have done it. Um, <laughs> without bill um oh cool and uh it started i mean the tour itself started when adam kelly was at harvard and i think 2013 yeah. bill is that right and he called bill buehler because right. the atlas had gone up and said did he want to need to walk tour her boston and bill said well i live in washington and <laughs> i really don't know boston you should call this guy bill latanzu i've been talking to so uh, <laughs> yeah uh and 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 I did that tour um so I put I met with Adam I put together a tour based on stuff that I had done because I had been kind of parallel to to Bill Butler had been had been kind of obsessively crawling the streets of Boston and and taking pictures of sites and <laughs> thinking about Wallace's life here um yeah and um so I so I pretty quickly put together that tour for Adam and we just had a fantastic time and then things just sort of uh, spiraled out of that. I did it again for a radio station here in Boston, and then I did mm-hmm. it for the first Wallace conference. And then I went to Paris and did a presentation there on the Wallace tour. And, yeah, yeah, uh, that was great. And then since then, I've I've taught Infinite Jest a couple of times at the at a uh, Cambridge School of Adult Education here. Um, I work with uh, Chris Boucher, who teaches at BC um, on, his, right. on his class with Infinite Jest, and um, and just recently was down at Oswald's. Wallace. Uh, Last September, to uh, Tony McMahon asked me to to bring out the greatest hits and do the Wallace the <laughs> Wallace Tour presentation again. So I kind of tailored it for, uh, for for Oz Wallace for Australians, yeah, for Australians for the Bogans down there, yeah. Oh, good, yeah.
3: Which was so it's fair to say that you like David Foster Wallace, Bill. <laughs> that's a fair thing to say. Yeah, a little. Bit. I, enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy the Wallace. Awesome. Yeah.
1: What else are we doing here?
2: All right.
3: All right well, that's a great intro. Excellent. And then w- over to William, uh, as you mentioned, which was a great segue. Uh, William is, you may have known him from the Infinite Map or Infinite Atlas project. Um, there have been quite a few times where we have posted photos on our Instagram and Twitter that feature that map. Uh, primarily, thank Matt, in the um, Year in Review episodes, it's kind of the view of like my record shelf record player, and then a few pieces of art above that. Uh, and so, William, that's been featured heavily in some of the stuff we've put out before. If you've not seen this, I immediately uh, encourage you, if you're not driving, to go check out, uh, is it infinitemap.com? William, is that right?
1: You know what? That's the one URL that I don't have for this project. I could not get this guy to sell it oh, to really? me for like, <laughs> any price. He wouldn't reply. Oh. In fact, the only reason I'm using it the reason I began using Infinite Atlas in the first place was because I couldn't get Infinite Map. So you can go to infiniteatlas.com, and there's a little popover that'll show you the map. You can click through to see the poster. You can click through to see, and then there's infiniteboston.com as well. Yes. And you know you can—they're all linked together.
3: Yeah, totally. So this map, if you don't—if you've not seen it, if you don't have it—is—is uh, is it two feet by three feet? It's massive. Uh, 24 24 by 36 24 by 36 inches and it features a a visual uh, cartographical overview of North America with several inlays one of Boston, one of the Great Concavity which is featured in red Uh, and then there's a very stylized Onan logo on the top right which I love and then a very extensive uh, key at the bottom with all the locations of Infinite Jest and my favorite of which is that Vancouver Island is featured on it with an entry um, I think there's a footnote in one of the one of the tennis kids papers about some of the First Nations people in in Vancouver Island. So that's where I'm from. Uh, and so, uh, Matt, you own this map as well, right? Yeah, it's a beautiful
0: map. Uh, it's
3: amazing.
0: I, I mean, I love maps in general, but uh, I mean, this particular yeah. map, obviously is special and near and dear to my heart. Um Bill also made and see I call him Bill I can't say William sorry I, I, just, I, I just know him as Bill I, like I'm gonna say Butler right. maybe I'll say Butler and Butler's good um, sure. I respond to all of these things so so Butler <laughs> I I mean I've known both of these guys a while I feel like these are my old mm-hmm. friends and yeah. I wish we were yeah. like hanging out in person here because uh, I've Me hung too. out with both of these guys multiple times in person. Um, but Butler also made a print of that Onan logo that you're talking about, Dave. That's right. Uh, which is pretty awesome as well. And I feel, like, wasn't there yeah. another print? Was it just one print that you made, Butler?
1: So the poster of the Infinite Map is one print. the The Great Seal of Onan is its own separate print those are the only two posters okay. but uh, if you go to shop.butlerinc.com or if you go in through the shop on the infiniteatlas.com website there's, uh, there's tote bags there's some t-shirts as well <laughs> one of them has the great seal of Onan another has a happy face and a tennis ball that are uh, originally the idea was that they were uh, arranged to look like uh, an infinity symbol but it's, it really just looks like a tennis ball next to a, a smiley face Oh, Um, yeah, I see. Those are for sale as well.
3: And stickers, the great seal of Onan. And stickers, and stickers. I would say the
1: (laughs) Infinite Map is the number one seller, not even close. Um, Mm -hmm. The the stickers are probably the number two. The stickers Mm. feature the seal. And then the the, the seal poster itself, which is a square, um, that's probably the third seller. I've sold like two tote bags. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the map as well. I think I was an
2: early purchaser of the oh, map. and nice. And yeah. uh, when I, I did this fellowship out at the University of Kansas that maybe I'll talk about. A- and uh, it, it, it was like this the single object on the wall there that I went to every day. It's kind of oh, like wow. Carrie and Homeland. <laughs> it's <not laughs> inch of the map. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. a great thing. It's an amazing thing that, that Butler has done. It's really yeah, it's incredible oh, between the website and all the products. It's uh, well, it's quite and, something.
0: And why don't you go ahead and, and Butler and just give us um, a background of like how the map came to be, what your idea was mm-hmm. for it, how you researched mm-hmm. it, um, kind of before it was born. What you know, how did it come to be? Yeah,
1: sure thing. Um, well, and, and, you know, as we'll get to here, Matt, you played a a, a, a small but significant role in shaping w- what it became. So if we go back to the uh, the, the early years of this decade, um, I had just finished my reread, my second read of Infinite Jest. And, you know, th- th- this time I was even more inspired by it than when I'd read it back in college. And so by this point, I was like, all right, this is my favorite novel now. Um, and within the same time frame, I had quit my job to go out on my own as a consultant, so I had more time to control my own. And having previously worked at a social media agency, you know, infographics were a big deal, and I um, wanted to make my own infographic, and Infinite Jest, being this ginormous book, seemed like a, there's a data set in here. I mean, there's many data sets in there, but I knew there had to be something interesting in Infinite Jest, so, you know, originally, this was not so focused on geography. In fact, it really wasn't focused on geography. Um, it was going to be one thing out of many things I wanted to put on this poster. Uh, I was going to have some illustrative elements. I think that I wanted to have maybe an incandenza family tree and some wild <laughs> ideas like, the, like the, the, the tennis match results. I don't even know if that's, you know, necessarily. Like Jim uh, Troltz's uh, version? Yeah, like I don't know if it's actually gettable. Like I don't know if it was written out that much. Um, so There's at this section, time, yeah. you know, b- back in the days of of, of G chats ubiquity, you know, Matt Booker was one person I was talking with about this. And you know what? In, in preparation for this show, I went back oh my and I actually god. found the oh. chat transcript.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> it was uh it was in the hour of uh, of uh like eleven p.m. or so. On October 6th of 2010, that I first told you, Matt, that I wanted to make an infographic based on Infinite Jest. You remember this conversation?
0: Yeah, I do. I do. Um, and, and when, in fact, when you, ago. when you were talking about the family tree, then that just reminds me of like, I had, you know, just a couple years before that published the Greg Carlisle book, which has a family right. tree in it and which has yeah. like a map of the tennis academy in it. Um, right. So I had been pretty deep into this stuff for a few years by that
3: point.
1: Yeah, you you had some ideas in there, and you helped me. You're like, well, the you know, helped me realize what had already been done, including, of course, the the terrific Sam Potts graphic where he maps yeah. all of the characters and how they relate. And I, I was very impressed by that. And I you know chose not to be intimidated. I chose to see that as a <laughs> challenge. Like, okay, well, there's one great data set. What's another? Uh-huh. And so. Then again, uh, credit goes back to Matt again for giving me the, um, the 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 thread that I was able to pull in order to uh, uncover a thing that I did not realize going to this project, <clears throat> which is that you know pretty much every single location that uh, that David Foster Wallace mentions in Infinite Jest is either a completely real place, uh, a fictionalized version of a real place. Or, you know, I uh, identified closely enough that you could drop an XY coordinate on a real map and go, this is where that thing would be. And that was, that was a huge revelation. And so, I, together with a friend who was a, a college friend of mine who had also read the, the novel um, around the same time, way back in the day, in the late 90s, uh, I, I enlisted him to uh, help me out and go through the novel page by page, each of us separately, and pull out every single plausible physical location that we could find. And this was a very long process. This was Ollie uh, Ruff,
0: right? Was it? R- wow. That's Ollie Ruff. Ruff. That's correct. So, so Ollie Ruff was actually a member of the, the Wallace L. mailing list back in like the late 90s. And so right. I knew his name before I knew yours. And sure. I, I, the fact that you two knew each other was like kind of bizarre to me because I had not even made the connection um, anywhere but online. And I thought for a while when Ollie Ruff first joined the list, I thought that was a fake name. That, <laughs> yeah. That's got to be a fake <laughs> name. Right? But it's, it's a real, great name. Real guy. Anyways, keep going. This is great.
1: Yeah, r- real guy. And, uh, and his wife is one of the co-founders of my company. So right. um, mm-hmm. while, while I was working with mm-hmm. him on, the, on this project, I was working with her on you know, turning my little consultancy into something a little bit bigger. Um, so Ollie helped me with yeah going through every single page and create, compiling a list of everything, including we were super scrupulous about making sure that we put all the locations in order that they were first mentioned. And that required a lot of editing over time. Uh, and then it also included uh, a lot of time arguing about, I mean, friendly arguing, debating, you know, well, where is this thing? Well, what do we think it is? And trying to be as you know accurate as possible based on what was... Mentioned in the book and based on what we could tell by poring over maps. Um, once we had that list together, I enlisted some friends who were uh, who who work with GIS systems. So, if we go back to I was like the like May of 2011, I think was when I had figured out where all the locations were. And at this point, I had like 600 you know different locations of which I could find wow. I, I could find X Y coordinates for. The great majority of them, over five hundred for sure. And uh, another friend of mine uh, helped me plot out the locations on a school computer at the University of Oregon campus one summer. The, the same campus where I'd, I'd read the book years previously. Uh, a month later, then I took my uh, the, the only I took one trip to Boston for the for the research aspect of this project. And I got a this is before. Airbnb, this is before Uber and Lyft, so I got a, a budget hotel, a budget motel hotel out in Chelsea, and every morning I got a taxi that would take me to, you know, Alston, Brighton was certainly the place where <laughs> I began, and, you know, Cambridge, and even South Boston, and the Back Bay, and downtown, and I just ran around with a camera and my notes and tried to take photos of everything I could, and... That was about, it was a four-day trip in late July of of 2011. And when I got back, I started piecing it together. And it took about a year, having all the research put together to, you know, put it together. And I realized at this point that it needed to be three parts. You know, the the original map concept, the original poster concept had been taken over by the map. And so I focused on the 250 most important locations from the novel. Um, As you mentioned, these are identified in a key, a very extensive key that takes up about the bottom third of the poster, that's the infinite map. Well, the Boston trip had given me all these photos that I could do something with, and so I I decided that I would write this kind of travelog blog that I published from July to October of 2012, uh, which was, you know, a, really a vehicle to promote sales of the poster. The poster came out in like the middle of that run. And that's still up at infiniteboston.com. That thing was really helpful. Helped me actually. I was still working on the map when I was publishing that. So uh, Lauren Leja is a, a a friend in Boston who I met in the comments of Infinite Boston, and was and she she helped me to nail down some places that I was wrong about. And I met Bill Litanzy, uh through this project as well. Um, and then the the last thing that. I don't remember whether it was the last thing I came up with, but um having having way more locations than I could actually put onto the map, well you know um this was a good uh, a good thing to take and put into a Google Maps API and that's infinite atlas so it's a searchable mm-hmm. online atlas with so every one of those six hundred locations is in the database you have to like click around inside uh, some of the you know some of the, the pop-ups to find some of these locations that don't have places, um, and then you know had the ancillary products as I mentioned, because we produced a lot of artwork and a lot of logos that didn't necessarily have a place in any one of these sites, and all of them together are the Infinite Atlas project, uh, and that's how I that's how I'm talking to you, fine gentlemen this evening.
3: <laughs> if you go to infiniteatlas.com, you're immediately confronted with a map of Boston, right? Yes. And then you scroll out and there's there are like hundred points within Boston that you have. And as you scroll out, you can just use finger scroll. There's still so, so many points in the northeastern United States, into obviously into up into Montreal, into Quebec, and you keep going out and there's like tons in Europe, in Africa, in Asia. Like there is a lot there's a ton of stuff mapped on on what you have here.
1: One thing I realized while I was working on this project was that um, among the many resources that Wallace uh, consulted in putting this together, he definitely had an, an atlas, you know, sitting mm. there, that, so we could Locked go to. Loaded. <laughs> yeah, and and it's an older atlas too. I think he. I don't know which, you know, actual atlas he used, but my bet would be that it, would, it was an older British atlas because the spellings of some of these places, especially in the, the Middle East are, you know, different spellings than the ones that are in common usage, at least in the United States, circa 2018, or circa 1995, or certain, you know, in 1990, when he was writing it.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just looking at your entry for British Columbia here, which is where I'm from. The pin on it is like sort of in like Central uh, West. And you have the note about Molly Notkins and Joelle's uh, really, really (laughs) good apple juice, the muddy apple juice. Right. If you wanted to revise that pin and drop it down to a city called Kelowna, that would be the oh, yeah. most accurate you could get for that kind of juice, which is the city that I'm originally from.
1: <laughs> oh, see, this would be a good. This is it's good. like the orchard re-
3: region of the province.
1: <laughs> yeah, for some of these, where you know, If like not that's Mani- fine too. Man. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, Manitoba gets a name check, right? And uh, I don't, or Saskatchewan yeah most of all, and you know it was just like well, where do you put that? you know it just got mentioned sure. so the you know the mapping software has its own default for what the center of the province or the state is, and that's why right. that's why most of these are where that's they what are oh yeah, except cool, for the cool. ones that are down to like you know the exact physical location of where yeah like know, house was, yeah. for example yeah
3: mm-hmm. that's funny, yeah, you would not know that fact unless you're from Kelowna. a thing
1: yeah. i didn't quite make clear was that it was Matt who told me. What, that the where the Granada House was originally. That was the thread. I don't think I quite oh, made yeah. that clear. And he showed it to me on Google Maps, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's <laughs> the uh, that's it." And yeah. I knew I had to go visit there. And yeah, that was really the starting point for all the rest of it. Yeah, hmm. and I think cool.
0: I, the timing of this is uh, it was right around. I had just talked to D. T. Max about some of the. Because he had done a similar trip as you did of going to Boston and like going to see mm. some of these places, and um, I, you know that's I wanted to, to hone in on that for um, both Bills Butler and Latanzi. and um, let's let's hear from Latanzi a little bit here too because to me this is a very key part of what people are really interested in about the book is where is infield tennis academy and where where is in it It house and you know how do they connect and so bill latanzi if you wouldn't mind jumping in here and just telling us um what you thought or expected and then like the real deal about those two places
2: sure (laughs) um well when i was First, um, looking, I couldn't find uh, uh, Granada House. I don't know why. The description is fairly clear in the book, and it was it was Bill Butler that that tipped me off. So it goes from Matt to Bill to Bill, and and once <laughs> I once I found it, um, I I was kind of amazed that at that time, unlike now, you could just go into the uh, parking lot there. At it's called the Brighton Marine Health Center, just like the you know and Marine Health Center. He just changed changed it from Brighton to uh to Enit. Um and apparently I guess somebody said somewhere that he liked the idea that it w- it said marine when it was nowhere near the ocean, but of course it, it <laughs> refers to the to the division of the military. It was it was a, a kind of a a VA uh, hospital yeah. originally. Um but uh going there you can sit it, I, at that time you could just go sit in the parking lot you might be able to, to still if you if you drive a car in there but they have a, a very active security uh, detail that comes out and confronts you if you just wander in now but um, <laughs> at, at the time you could sit there and read the section of the book um, and and look up and see exactly what Wallace was writing about I, I, I mean really pretty much exactly um, to the you could see the rail where he says the the methadone addicts hung out and waited for their, to, to, for the doors to open. You could see the little patch of grass with it didn't have the sign on it, but you could imagine one that said um, "grass grows by inches but dies by defeat." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Love it. <laughs> and the, the bay
0: um, windows. The bay we, windows, it, yeah. Front, well, if yeah. you,
2: yeah. Well, it is. I mean, he described what he describes it as a dead planet with seven. Um, uh, moons orbiting around it, and that's the way it is. This is one big, giant building. I don't know if it was partly boarded up when he was there. I don't think it was. Um, I think he may have imagined that, although it was on hard times at the time. Um, and then these ancillary buildings, two big ones, and then there's a there's a road, just like he describes, um, that was unpaved at the time. It was broken up, I guess, um, the pavement, and then uh, a, a set of, uh, in parallel, little brick buildings, all of which are various forms of rehab and kind of halfway houses um, or treatment centers. And the last one on the left is um, number six, which was uh, where Granada House was and which he changed to uh, Enit House. Um, it's, uh, it's got whitewashed brick in the book. It doesn't have whitewashed brick <laughs> in the novel. It's just regular brick. I talked to uh, Deb Larson, who, who uh, ran Granada House then and runs it now, and she said that uh, it had never been whitewashed brick, so he changed that detail. Number seven is not crushed. It is. It is there. The building that they they <laughs> sneak into. Um, it's still there. Uh, and and what interests me a lot was um, the way that he transformed the reality into this slightly altered world of Infinite Jest. And when I was out at that first Wallace conference, I went out to his um, where he grew up and where he learned to play tennis there at that park in uh, um, Urbana. And uh, you look around, and there are some there are some white brick buildings there. So I always imagine that he liked the white brick, and that's why he did it. But anyway, but but on to um, ETA, the Infield Tennis Academy. So yeah, he talks about it um, kind of looming over um, Enid House uh, at the at the flattened top of a hill. So if you go to the if you go up as high as you can go in that area. Uh, where you come to is uh, what is now a closed monastery at, at the time it was kind of it was open when I was first looking around there around two thousand um, and eight or nine and it 's called saint gabriel 's monastery and it uh, anybody 's welcome to walk in and you can walk out to the back parking lot and see just barely across uh, the river in Boston um, the the spires of Harvard where he had been uh, a year before before his uh, uh breakdown and eventual uh, mm commitment to the and halfway house so or the Granada halfway house so um I mean a lot of what I do is is wander around think about Wallace wandering around those places and um Granada house is uh, tremendously small and crowded and probably sweaty and a lot of people smoking and it's kind of gross and I think that um I imagine that Wallace walked a lot I imagine he walked and smoked cigarettes and 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 thought and and so I imagine he wandered up there the same way I wandered up there and discovered this place and and, and thought it might be um, a fine setting for ETA.
0: Hmm. Butler, anything you want to add to that about uh, in-house or ETA?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, you know, there's another... uh, So uh, speaking of things that, you know, astonished me, not just that, you know, oh, there it is, but, you know, the, the, the level of detail that he wrote about this particular block, this particular neighborhood where someone who, you know, decided to, like, look up, like, St. Elizabeth's is on the back side of that hill. Uh, the Franciscan Children's Hospital is directly across the street. And, you know, Fidelis Way Park with the monastery, of course, it's not cardioid, it's not shaved off, and there's no tennis academy for <laughs> sure. Um, but, you know, there are some basketball uh, courts up there that, you know, kind of look like they, you know, they're, they're superficially similar to tennis courts. And the the most significant location on this hill that it does not occur, is not mentioned in Infinite Jest, is actually Brighton High School. So there is a school for children of about the, the age that, you know, many of the ETA kids would be That's that's there. So I think if you kind of take those, take, take the Monastery Hill and the high school and the park and you mix them together, you have sort of, uh, you have all the elements of ETA, you have many of the elements of ETA. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's true. And I think too, I mean, he's, 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 he's riffing both off his, uh, his education, certainly, you know, the academic part of it, but I, we also know that he went from, you know, thanks to, to DT Max, we know that he spent uh, part of a summer at John Newcomb's tennis Academy in Texas, which um, Hmm. I encourage you to go to the website there of the Newcomb Tennis Academy. They've got a bunch of videos. And uh, to this day in 2018, they play like they could be ETA videos. You've got <laughs> John, Newcomb, John Newcomb addressing the kids and saying, you know, tennis is not about the ball. It's not about your strokes. It's <laughs> about yourself. It's a battle with yourself. Wow. You've,
1: yeah. So... Um, there's, there's a guru in the bathroom levitating and dispensing <laughs> advice to the
2: children. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I do know he was there in the summer of 76. So um, I, I wonder if they huh. had a puppet show on, uh, on July 4th <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the bicentennial. Right. <laughs> uh, I'll
0: have to dig up somewhere I had a, an old screenshot from the f- – first round of Google Street View on that and maybe I still I could dig it up but what struck me about it was that really the front of the building it was really hemmed in and it was facing like Calm Ave right yeah. and yeah, yeah. that the i Mm. I didn't i didn't get it It was so far back from the actual street and like up on a hill a little bit like from the com ave point of view it's like behind bars almost and it kind of looked like that bay window faced out on the prison and the really the entrance as you say is on the parking lot side where there's like that back staircase that that is mentioned so i mean that that sort of orientation i found really surprising actually
1: uh, one small thing: the ravine is not nearly as impressive in real life as what I imagined when I was reading the novel. The ravine is about, you know, seven feet, and it goes down to a brick wall.
2: It's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, it's it's quite yeah. striking. Yeah, yeah, uh, looking out on the unpleasant stretch of Commonwealth Avenue, he says. Yeah,
4: <laughs>
2: but it's and and that and that and bar that that's the uh, the fence that forces you to walk all the way around. The subway stops right there, just as he says. But you can't, and you so you can see Granada House right in front of you. Right. But you have to walk all the way up the street and up hill of the driveway and around, and then down that street back. Warren. So all all of that is um, is in the novel. I mean, yeah, hmm. it, it goes on and on. The the place that that he wrote a bunch of it, I guess, on 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 is it Forest Road uh, Bill around kind of around about a half a mile away where he lived next after that's uh, right after after Granada. Um, A couple of doors up is this place, the discalced Carmelite nun's home. And it's such a strange word. And and there it is. It it appears in in jest. I'm just looking at my Kindle copy here. You know, Leisure Time Ice Company, a discalced monastery. You know, he's like a yeah.
0: That that thing about the discalced Carmelite nun uh, actually caused me a bit of confusion whenever Greg Carlisle was writing his book, because there's a comma where it's it's talking about Lyle, actually the guru, and it says something like Lyle, comma a discalced Carmelite nun, and (laughs) and someone else. But it's like, it's like a serial comma problem where it's like if you read it, uh, yeah. you read it wrong, you're like, wait, does he just yeah. say that Lyle is actually a discounted Carmine Nun? But yeah, it's right. like, no, but the three of them, the, the nuns actually came and were like working there at ETA. Um, I see. But it, I was like, hmm. this came up. I had a long discussion with Greg Carlisle about whether or not um, uh, Lyle was a nun. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's sweet. because of
0: that uh that comma and and that house that he lived in after um granada house i i think you know it was a halfway house we called that the quarterway house right like halfway mm-hmm. is like you're halfway integrated back into society <laughs> and this is like there's still a quarter bit of you left in the pro, you know monitored by the program and then you're three quarters into the real world yeah. by that
2: point. Yeah. And, and from that place, where up in the you can see a tennis court across the street. There's one diagonally across the street. So hmm. he had that in front of him. But it's amazing. I mean, to me, he just used everything in his life in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying to Bill Bueller uh, the last time I think we probably communicated, I had discovered, uh, i have been obsessively going through this stuff as us as, as obses- as obsessives do. And there's a, okay. a place that he lists as the Universal Bleacher Company, and I happened to uh, Google it there mm. they're, they're in Enfield. And it's it's um, it's um, not in Boston at all, but it it was a company in Urbana, Illinois, where he grew up. So <laughs> wow. um, just these things stuck in his brain. I think he liked the idea of a universal bleacher. Um, <laughs>
0: so, Bill, Latenzi, uh, uh, the stuff around Boston, though, I mean, it seems like, you know, I, I don't, I, even though I lived in New York for several years, I never once went to Boston. I think I told you this. So I have no experience with like, uh, the shape of the city and what it Mm -hmm. looks like from certain angles. And, you know, I know like David Herring had a paper about like different streets that Gately would drive down and how they form different angles. I mean, what was your take on the larger thing? Like once you get out of that Brighton area on,
2: you know, how did you see that functioning in the book? Well, yeah, that I mean, that was my initial point of connection because I, I once lived in Inman Square, as a lot of people, um, young people in Boston do. Um, and it, it, it wasn't so much um, geographical or cartographic for me as personals. Uh, I was responding to this book saying, my God, he's taking all these places that we think of as nothing places, like no life happens here. I have to get out of here in order to have a life. And turning them into literature, so Alston Brighton, uh, Inman Square, Central Square—they're um, kind of down and dirty places in those days. Um, I was there a, a little before him, and we overlapped a little bit, but I didn't know him. But um, a, and they're very much um, places that you walk by and through. So, uh, for instance, the place where Antitoise is located—I mean, I, I, I used that uh, Dave Herring's article there and considered David Foster Wallace. I was. Came out in 2010, I think, in your press mat, right? Um, and he placed it. Uh, thankfully for me, you know, he 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 showed me exactly where it was through this kind of analysis of triangles that that, that Wallace <laughs> had laid out on gasket. this on this on the street. Yeah, the Sapinski gasket and the Sitco mm-hmm. sign and on the streets of Boston, and it made perfect sense to me. And I went to the St. Mary's place, and he had it on one side of the street where there had been an old uh, drugstore, but I put it on the other side of the street because. I knew there had been a, um, an organization called Cultural Survival, that, and that was founded by Harvard Anthro, anthropology professors to co- try to keep tribes alive that they were studying by hooking them up with corporations. And they had this wonderful <laughs> logo. <laughs> As yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah, and and selling thing, you know, well, maybe we can sell beetle nuts or something and use them as parts of a Timex watch, something like that. Um, <laughs> and and what came out of that is 10,000 Villages and the, all those kind of craft shops that you, you right. see. Um, so it's actually a great thing. But but um, I, I thought, this is, he must have, this is, I know, that having lived at in Inman Square, if you want to go to Boston, the fastest way to do it is to walk up Prospect Street to Central Square which means that he must have passed cultural survival dozens of times while he was living there in that six months. And I thought, that in some sense, Infinite Jest is a book about cultural survival. And so he said, "Yeah, this is where I'm going to put it." Hmm. So, it, it, it's those. Th- that's kind of the way I think about it. I mean, I, there's a there's there's a kind of a triangle you can draw um, from Harvard down to Boston and back out to. Um, to uh, uh, Granada house or Ended house, but I, I think it's it, it, it's like a rule of thumb for me. Uh, I, when I started this process uh, in 2008, I, I was definitely of the sort of um, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna piece this all together. I'm gonna discover the real hidden code of uh, Infinite Jest, and uh, I worked at that for quite a while. And I think Bill Butler's had the same experience. It's trying to trace um, Lenz's walk, for example. At a certain mm-hmm. point, it 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 it's 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 just not there, and 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 uh, it's not it's not intended to be there. So at least that's what I think. Um, it comes really close, but it's <laughs> but it's it's not. I mean, Wallace himself says in that in that bookworm interview, what does he say? These are like these are like a mountain climber putting pitons in the mm-hmm. on the side of the cliff. They're, they're it's not a it's just it's just a, a rule of thumb that you go by the triangle and the Sierpinski gasket and. Um, laying a code onto the streets. I don't think there's a hidden code in there. <laughs> it's not like uh, City of Glass by Paul Oster. Yeah, you guys know
3: that. You know that short story. Yeah, uh, the man spelling out was it Babylon or something?
2: I I, I don't know it. So yeah, it's I good. know Oster, but.
3: so Bill, you wrote uh, an article about this for the, the LA Review of Books uh, a few years back called yeah. "Messing with Maps: Walking yeah. David Foster Wallace's Boston mm-hmm. with Images." So if you want to see some of this stuff, uh, check out Google that.
2: Yeah, that came out of um, the Paris talk I did, uh, and Lee Constantino right. um, asked me to put it together in, in an article for LARB. I was really happy to do that. It was really a a fun project.
3: That's sweet.
2: And Bill Butler, I want to ask you about. Um, let's get back into a
0: couple more details of the map itself, because I, I'm wondering whether in that blog series that you did, Infinite Boston, or in your trip to Boston, if there was anything. Anything else that really uh, surprised you, or felt like you discovered? Uh,
1: yeah, so there. I'll get to the last part <clears throat> last because there was one discovery I found that I was, um, you know, I, that genuinely surprised me. Um, but I do want to, you know, address to uh, you know Bill talking about how some of these things just aren't there. If you read through some of my Infinite Boston entries, um, I think the one about the location of Antitois Entertainment, uh, or Entertainment, if you prefer. <laughs> uh, I do. <laughs> as uh, uh, Bill, uh, as okay, as um, a Randy Lenz's walk, and I didn't write about that, but I did write about Joel's walk to the very last party. And so, if you read that, you can like, I I I traced those steps going you know off of the text and trying to figure out and you know what a lot of that works but it, i think it does kind of break down a little bit once you get into the back bay so it is uh, i mean like i said the hours and hours spent trying to figure out where these things were hunched over google maps you know combined with my you know efforts to you know i couldn't i, I had four days and i was on foot a lot of time so i was limited but you know found most of these things i think uh Two, two, two places that surprised me. One is across the street from the old Granada house, ended house. Um, you know, I was surprised by some of the places that could have just been completely made up, but very much weren't. And uh, the first one that surprised me um, was, you know, my, my very first stop on that very first day, of course, was Granada house. So I, I walked around that neighborhood and the first thing I saw that genuinely like shocked me was the father and son market. Yeah. This is in the novel where, you know, where where uh, buys her Benson and Hedges, and where uh, Hal goes for candy, and Mario goes for tea. It's there. I, I walked in and I bought some bottled water there. At least as <laughs> of uh, twenty, I haven't, I haven't been back in the neighborhood for a couple of years, but as of twenty eleven, it was it was there, so alive was and well. Yeah, is it good? I'm glad to hear. Very glad. <laughs> the real discovery, though, that I would say that I that I made that was a. Um, a genuine discovery, rather than just stumbling across a thing to find it's real, I'm pretty sure that I found the location of uh, the, the building that Wallace had in mind when he was writing about Kenkel and Brant's apartment. And so in the novel, it's described as being an attic apartment in Roxbury Crossing overlooking Madison Park High School's lockton Corden Playground. So I think on my fourth day was after I had pretty much hit everything in Cambridge and Austin Brighton um, and Back Bay as I as I as I wanted to. I kind of took a cab just all around uh South Boston and into Roxbury and into through JP. And so I did I did go like make a stop in Roxbury. So as as Bill Latanzi will know better, you know, Roxbury's a neighborhood. Uh Roxbury Crossing is the the T stop. And so, uh, you know, the Mad- Madison Park High School is there, uh, within a f- you know a few blocks of the Roxbury Crossing T stop. Uh, there is a hill uh, right next to it, and uh, there's a New Dudley Street in the book. Well, there isn't a New Dudley Street, but there is a Dudley Street. And so, I directed the taxi down Dudley Street, and uh, well, okay. So there's not a there's not a playground at the high school, as there there probably wouldn't be. But there's this um, three-story building. Um, I'm actually looking at my... uh, There's a one, two, three, four-story building, or the fourth story is, in fact, uh, like a clearly an attic where there is a, a fire escape or these stairs that you can walk up from the outside to get to that attic. And it overlooks both Madison Park High School, which is just down the hill, and right next to it, there is a playground. And so this location has all of the elements of Kenkel and Brandt's apartment, you know, very, very slightly modified, and <laughs> what, what, what else could this be? I, it was a weird feeling because I kind of felt like I was looking at a thing and knowing what it was, you know, to my knowledge, for the first time since Wallace had, you know, come up with the idea in the first place. Hmm. Did you, Bill Butler?
2: did you find, I'm to ask a question, did you find when you saw these places, how did they match <laughs> up with your imagination? of what you thought Uh they looked like having read the book?
1: I mean, like I'd already said with The Ravine, I I do recall vaguely what my original conception of, you know, Ennett House was. And it was a lot different. You know, I'm somebody who read... This is a true story that I've never told anybody before. I'm somebody who read Stephen <laughs> King's The Stand, imagining uh, Texas redneck Stu Redman as Bo Jackson for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just don't necessarily... Like, the, baseball you know, the, football the baseball player? player. The baseball player on a boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bo knows superflu. Not Bo Jack Horseman, though. <laughs> Not Bo Jack Horseman, indeed. <laughs> So I, I don't really place a lot of stock in my own mental images of things. I don't think that, you know, when I'm reading, I, I tend to see things more in, in ideas and concepts rather than visual images. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, and, and I first read, the, the, you know, the first time so long ago, and now it's been almost 10 years since I, you know, gave Infinite Just the, the second full reread. I, I, I I'd, I'd have to like think about it before I give you another good example. It's, uh, it was, I mean, I wanted to go, in large part, to put some actual visual, you know, uh, uh, associations with these places. And, I mean, it certainly did that for me, no question. I,
2: I w- all, was initially really disappointed when I went to see these places because okay, I had imagined... Yeah. I, even though I, I kind of knew a lot of them anyway, I'd walked by a lot, walked a lot of the same walks over the years. And, um, but there's something magical about, about the dream world of, of literature that you, you enter into when you... you um, so, but at doing the tours, I find that uh, I always feel a little silly taking people on these tours because it's like, well, here's a building and here's another building and here's another building. <laughs> but by the end, you know, when we read passages from it, you start to see the ghosts a little bit or see the elephant as the recreators say. you, you Just hovering about six inches above the uh, ground, you, you begin to see the novel in the real place. And that, uh, I, I love that. Yeah, certainly.
1: Hmm. I found most of the locations I went to um, in in real life seemed much nicer than they are described as being in the book. Especially mm-hmm. Alston A- 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 Brighton, which I have the impression, and Bill again, you would know better than me, was you know fairly run down. Um, yeah. and and it's still a little bit funky these days, but yes. you know, like like every other major American city has, you know, gentrified significantly from the hmm. you know, early two thousand onwards. So when I went to go visit Boston for this trip, it was it was it was July, it was blazing hot. It wasn't anything like the, you know, uh, November of Interdependence Day that, you know, you know, you're, I, that I think you're supposed to get from it. Like, I think you're supposed to get, mm-hmm. you know, gray skies, despite the blue skies motif of of the book, you know, that's more like right. uh, <laughs> Arizona than it is like Boston. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was, I, I had the sense that when I was there, I, even though I was uh, in the same physical places where Boston was or where Wallace was, it wasn't the same place, right? It yeah. just, that that was a place in time that no longer existed. And so the best I could do would be to visit them and, you know, try to recreate you know the mental image of what it might like to have been when things were more run down. I,
2: I hmm. think that's exactly right. I when I again when I do the tour, I'll say like you've got to imagine this two or three um, levels of rehab down. You know, and there are still <laughs> play and and Alston was pretty pretty gritty in 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 the late eighties. Um, and what can you guys tell me about the smell in Alston? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> yeah, you're referring to the line. What is it? Uh, she told Kissing me that, it, where it smells,
3: where it says, <laughs> so I took it Alston. So I took it to Alston.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know it's one that of my it's. Favorites. I don't know that it smelled particularly. I do remember a massive. Uh, I I remember little details that are gone now, been rehabbed out of existence. Um, the <laughs> the the liquor store that was next to the giant recycling place, we could bring the bottles back, and the and the um, <laughs> other other little details, and the. Um, yeah. Um, what? What's that liquor store with the amazing sign? Oh, Blanchard's, yeah. Blanchard's, that's the, right. That's it. Which which did burn down around that time and what did seem to be rebuilt in 48 hours as if by ants. <laughs> 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 and it, it was one of those places where you could go and uh, get, they sold all the college kits and they didn't care if you had an ID. I, I, <laughs> Blanchard's, if you're Back listening, then. I'm sure that's not true, but... <laughs>
3: All this stuff you guys are talking about uh, makes me, uh, reminds me of one of our listeners who uh, will sometimes tag us on Instagram named Sander Cohen. He's currently going on a six-month tour of Infinite Jest locations across America with his family. Oh, awesome. Um, So he, the other day, he tagged us in one uh, of him in Arizona, like on some bluffs overlooking... Uh, you know, overlooking Tucson in the hills, yeah mm-hmm. um, so that 's really cool, like as you guys are talking about what 's it like to actually go to these places? How do they mm-hmm. match your expectations of them yeah so there are there are people like you guys out there who are who are checking these places out even right now well very cool
0: and in fact that 's why I want to interject and um, speak directly to people who maybe don 't have a lot of other experience in um, the literary world or have never come across other um, people who discuss the details of every location in a novel obsessively and I would I would direct your attention to um the walking tours of Dublin that are available for James Joyce's um Bloomsday Mm -hmm. events I would direct you to uh the people who have mapped out Yonk Napatafa County and all of Faulkner's works and uh, every uh, every little detail of uh, American literature that has survived, people have wanted to see where it's really, what it really looks like. And that's why we have, you know, even Flannery O'Connor's Childhood Home, I believe, is on the National Register of Historic Places and to me, it's just another sign that Wallace is sort of part of our uh, you know, literary canon, for better or for worse. And uh, his home, like we've all been, at least the three of us, I'm not sure about Butler, but we've been to the Wallace Conference in Illinois at Bloomington Normal, where now there is on the visitor's website for the town of Bloomington <laughs> Normal, there is a David Foster Wallace tour with a map produced by the town that you, that you can go and check out, you know, places that where Wallace lived and worked and taught Mm -hmm. and favored. So, uh, to me, it it might sound like, Oh, we're really obsessive fans. And to me, this is like part of a long tradition, maybe even going back to like Shakespeare and Don Quixote. And, you know, that that Mm -hmm. there are people who are interested in what, what is it, the real place look like? So, uh, I, it, it's not weird to me, but I think to other people, some people it might be like, wow, that's really obsessive. <laughs>
1: I mean, like Guilty you have as a charged. <laughs> yeah,
2: it, it's it's not not obsessive uh, <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the fandom thing. I mean, to me, I think there's something about the book that when people get into it or in Wallace in general that you want to get closer to it. You haven't got to, you know... You haven't got yeah. enough of it you have and you feel like you don't quite understand it i mean it took me three tries like a lot of people to read the book and when i finally <laughs> did I, I just went straight back to the beginning and read it again and then I, and then still wasn't enough and i wanted to go out and see these places and and it's been gradual for me and and then uh when the biography came out in 2013 a whole lot of new 2012
0: 2012 2012
2: mm-hmm. a lot of new interesting things um um, well, appeared.
0: well, and I, this is part of my larger argument, Bill, is just that uh, especially like with the society right now, like we're trying to get this David Foster Wallace society um, to be a, a strong, vibrant thing. And, you know, it's part of a tradition, like even in, in academia, there are tons of single author societies, uh, two or three hundred of them affiliated with uh, American Literature Association. Um, that all have conferences and produce journals and so to me it's it's not that weird but like to tell someone yeah. that that you're a member of the David Foster Wallace society <laughs> is a little different than saying you're a member of you know the the Louise May Alcott society or the even Cormac McCarthy society of which there is one so
2: um oh well he's you know he's one of the major American authors of the last however many years 75 years so
0: and I think most of the people listening to this podcast are probably on the obsessive side of the spectrum. If you're uh, seeking seeking out a podcast about a individual writer, it's like I don't need to defend it to you, but um, I, <laughs> I do think it, it to me it's just another signpost. Like this this mapping mm. piece, I think will actually go further. And I mean, I would love to see um, more of the Illinois
2: landmarks sort of get their due. Mm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think we missed. It's too bad that the, the timing didn't work out. Wallace's uh, childhood home was up for sale during the, uh, I think it was during the first conference, for one hundred and fifty grand. And if, if that had been done, do you mean his now, house
0: in Bloomington is not his childhood home? No, he grew up in Urbana. You mean the one in Urbana was for sale?
2: The one, yeah, on, on Montclair yeah. S- uh, Street there. Yeah, um, yeah. and I always thought would well, be good to if the, if there was a society that could have bought it and turned it into a museum or something. Yeah, what's our budget at right uh, now currently?
3: Not not
0: that much. <laughs> not that not, not 130,000. But I will say that did happen with the John Updike Society, which started out with pretty, you know, they they died within months of each other Wallace and Updike. And Updike Society uh reorganized because they did get enough money to buy John Updike's childhood home um, uh-huh. and turn it into a museum. And the other common thing that happens is they they will often buy one of those homes and turn it into a part museum and part like visiting riders retreat, like for mm, if the university mm, has mm. like a visiting rider come in. Um mm-hmm. this is the way it is in um Texas State with the Katherine Ann Porter house. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean it's a it's another thing that could that I wish we could have done. Um but I think there will be hopefully more to come in yeah. this area rather than you know, the pretty solid walking tour of of Boston that exists and then of Bloomington Normal, which like I say, you will put in the show notes you can we can link to, you can take yourself uh, around Bloomington normal. But yeah, like uh, people ask all the time, like what is there to see a Wallace when he moved to California? And it's like not much like where Mm -hmm. he taught, where he taught, where his Mm -hmm. office was, Mm
2: -hmm. um, you know, where he lived, but that's Mm -hmm. it. So I've often, it's interesting your friend or your, uh, who's, who's doing the tour of America and seeing Wallace's sites. I've I've always thought that would make a beautiful uh, kind of coffee table book to send a, a really good photographer around to these places and, Uh, wallace's america um Mm -hmm. and and because he's very concerned with the country i mean as a citizen i think uh, through all through all his work um and and created his own his own america in the writing that's one yeah, after- thing that su-
0: surprised me. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Bill Butler, but this is actually a okay. question for you is like yeah. see- seeing <laughs> well, okay. seeing like the map on the wall is like, wow, it, it brings you back into the book because you're like, I forgot that he actually mentions, you know, a place in Texas or like everyone in their state is like looking for like what's near me. Like, was that mentioned? Yes. Oh, <gasps> yeah.
1: And he did a good job of spreading out the mentions across the states, so most of the U.S. states get at least you know some minor mention. So I guess and, that wasn't so much a
0: question as like, sorry for interrupting. Please go on with your okay. comment now. <laughs> well,
1: speaking, you know, speaking of the book, after the after this project came out and it, it got a great reception and a, a fair bit of media coverage, um, at one point I actually had a book proposal for a uh, a. Yeah, maybe a coffee table book. It didn't quite get that far, um, but I wrote a whole proposal and I had an agent who was working on it for me. And I, I was I was told that it was put in front of Michael Peach, um, but uh, Hachette eventually passed on it, um, or or so I was told. And so I figured, like, well, I gave it the best shot I could on this, and they uh, they they'd be the people who would know not to do it if it shouldn't be done. So uh, it it remains a dream, um, one that's one that's. Um, put on the shelf. But if anybody listening would like to uh see that proposal and think that they could put it in, in front of uh, I don't know, someone else to consider. It's on my uh, it's on my hard drive. I could I could dust that off anytime.
3: Great. I'd love to see that book.
0: I <laughs> I I think that's an interesting question because a lot of that comes back to um the estate, right? So when we talk about, you know, Charles Dickens or you know, someone who doesn't have like living heirs and family, it's a lot easier for me, at least just to treat that person as like packed in the mists of time, you know, and there's, there's a place in London, like you can go the, I think the George Inn, right where like Shakespeare and Dickens ate here. And it's like really exciting. Whereas like with Wallace, I, I think it's a little bit, you know, it's still not that far removed, at least to me, it doesn't feel like that long ago that he himself was walking the earth. And it wasn't, it was only, you know, 10 years yeah, ago, 10 years less ago. than 10 years ago. Um, and so I think that the uh, estate is pretty protective of, of his legacy. And all of this kind of lives outside of, um, you know, their, their desires. I think if it was up to some people, like it would probably, there would be no walking tour of Boston, you know, Bill, do you have a take on that? Oh boy.
2: Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too
0: far into it. I'm just saying like, I think it's an interesting question of just him having this kind of legacy and being, you know, still kind of part of the living world.
2: Yeah. I think there are a lot of sensitivities uh, from people who are very close to him and uh, people who are involved with the estate that I don't always understand. I know that um, there's a, that idea that Wallace had that he didn't want to be turned into a statue and decried this idea of becoming a pop culture figure because he wanted to communicate one-to-one through the writing. Um, and I think that sometimes um, my reading of what the state is worried about is that. And it's hard to convince them that that will not be the effect, that in fact what you're trying to do is is spread the work itself and bring more and more people to the work in the very way that they desire so right. uh, I don't know that there's um, I'll give you, can you do to change their minds I'll, I'll give you another
0: example I mean I, I have strong op- opinions about this because I think even if there was an actual statue of David Foster Wallace in downtown Bloomington <laughs> or, or normal <laughs> Illinois that it's not going to do a damn thing that it's negative uh, and I actually like all right so you go to whole england right whole england is known for several things one of which is including it's the home of philip larkin so there is an actual statue of philip larkin in whole england and people will go there and take their pictures with it and it's like oh it exists does that mean what does that do to his work to me nothing does that does it make him seem any more like a celebrity than he was in his lifetime no Uh, So to me, I have strong opinions about that, but I'll give you another example is that like when we do have the conference in Illinois, everyone usually wants to go down and see where he lived. Like it's right down there. And, you know, the, the movie kind of helped, you know, bring that into focus, even though the movie was shot in Michigan. Right. It's like, how does it compare to the movie? Mm. Because there that's beyond just the, uh, the, the, having a picture uh, in your mind of like, what was it like in the Lipsky book, you know, or what was it like in the, when he's talking about walking his dogs, like, well, let's go down there and look at it. And so every time that I've been done Dave and Bill, you guys can talk about this too. It's like, not every time, but a couple times I've been down there and it's like, you don't want to make it like you're a tourist, right? <laughs> Cause this no, is just, it's, a it's,
3: you feel really creepy. It's a residential,
0: there, right? I mean, street, right? So people, <laughs> If you park your car there, and I mean, somewhat, it's a rent house, I think, now. And so people live there. And um, you get out of your car, it's like, w- what am I doing down here? You look around, and people are like, what is this guy doing down there? And it's always been like a little skeevy to me, you know?
3: Yeah, you do the Mike Pemulus like, look over each shoulder kind of thing <laughs> before you like, walk across the street and quickly take a photo and then get back in your car. <laughs> I've only been the one time last year with you, Matt. Yeah. I, haven't, I didn't go in the previous two years.
1: I felt that reason. way very much when I was, you know, at certain locations in Boston. As, as, uh, mostly the, you know, the former Granada House, and the fact that it was no longer the Granada House made me a lot more willing to go set foot there, because I'd feel like I was intruding if, I, if if people were still, you know, living there. And mm-hmm. as 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 Bill mentioned earlier, I haven't been, you know, back there in a while, so I I can imagine that it's more difficult to access. At the time, I was able to walk up the driveway and through the parking lot, and I actually went twice. And um, the, the first time, I actually met this um, handyman, who I think was actually named Bill as well, not to uh, complicate things even more. <laughs> um, but he was, he was real friendly. And he was just—he was genuinely curious what I was doing, and I explained. He had no idea that there was a a famous novel that was centered around this place where he worked, and so I Mm. I gave him the name of it. He was like, "I'm gonna go look this up," and I was like, "It's really, really long. Like, don't—you don't have to." (laughs) But he was like, "No, that—that's great." And well, toward the end of my trip, I realized uh, that I wanted to get like a different angle of the of the of, of of the of the building for my, you know, for my for my blog and i went back and the second time i was uh collared by a couple of women who were working in the um in in the brighton marine center and they they were not so friendly they uh <laughs> they made me sit down on a park bench next to the marine center and wait while they like talked to you know somebody and they just they they asked me no more just would you leave please and you know what? I had the photos I needed, and I did not want to cause any trouble. That's the most trouble that I caused in the entire trip, and I felt <laughs> awkward enough about that.
2: Oh, I've caused more sure. trouble than that. <laughs> oh, okay. Break it down for us. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's tough over at the Marine Center. I, I had a similar experience revisiting um, uh, the house where Costello and Wallace lived that summer of of eighty nine. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that's kind of unreconstructed. That looks the same way it did then, I think. And and uh, there was just a guy coming out of his house. And I was taking pictures, and and um, he had no <laughs> he doing? had no idea. You know who lived in your house? There should be a pl- <laughs> there should be a plaque on this house. The city of Cambridge should put a plaque on this house, <laughs> or city of Somerville. I'm sorry. Um, y- yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The people so. in Woodrig Road, uh, I was not even gonna tell, like, engage with at all. Like, I don't think that they had any interest. But yeah, I mean, at yeah. some point, wouldn't you like to know? Like, I don't know, Ernest Hemingway lived next door to you. Like, right. I would. I think that would be cool to know. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
2: Well, I, 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 the, a positive way to look at it is that it's a kind of a building of community thing. Well, certainly, mm-hmm. is in, in favor of communities. So. Yeah. Um,
0: That's a good spin on it, Bill. I like that. Yeah,
2: no, I believe it. I think it's true. I I feel like the people I've talked to along the way, you know, form a little community and um you know, when I was shooting out in front of there on Montclair um street in Urbana, a very elderly gentleman came by and turned out to have been a um colleague of Wallace's father uh in the Wallace. philosophy department and 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 uh you know, we talked for quite a while and he had no idea that the son was a novelist, uh, none at all. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Holy so, I mean, so it was a nice human connection to have made, you know. That wouldn't have, mm. I wouldn't have made otherwise if it wasn't for Wallace. So, I yeah.
0: want I want to ask a kind of random question, and this is for um, Bill Butler, and I don't know if I've ever asked you this before in the times we've talked, but um, hmm. if for people who don't know, Bill Butler is a uh, kind of a, also expert in Wikipedia and um oh really yeah and I, sure. I do you still do any any Wikipedia consulting or, or talks and stuff on Wikipedia oh um, yeah absolutely so um, I, I
1: mean it is one of the services my company provides so, for sure
0: so Wikipedia I want to I want to ask what is your experience with I don't know the editing any of Wallace's Wikipedia pages or Infinite Jest did, did you um you know what was your experience the, did you get involved in the talk of them at all or moderation of them
1: very minimally, I, there was a, prior to the publication of the Pale King. I was one of the primary authors of that page. Like I, you know, took all the news coverage mm-hmm. that had been put out there before its release, and then, um, you know, added as much as I could from it. And that's really about that about the most of it. I mean, as I my my volunteer editing of Wikipedia tends to be rather uh, sparse these days, as I, I'm involved with it professionally. So it, you know. Kind of for all of my all of my Wikipedia time tends to be you know, paid, to paid, right. <laughs> it's paid, right? I'm right. um, working better. on yeah. problems for clients rather than, you know, things of my own own fun. But, you know, a couple times a year I do roll up my sleeves and do a project just for fun. Folks who live in the Washington, D.C. area will probably be familiar with the phenomenon of the jumbo slice pizza that's available in the Adams Morgan mm. neighborhood where I, where have I live. T-
0: I have talked to you about this. And, okay, and, and and I remember I was one of several people who talked to you about Coronet Pizza in Manhattan. Yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah. That's right. Well, I, I added that into the page once yeah. we talked about it. So yeah. Um, so I wrote the about a year or so back. I, I wrote a fairly detailed, uh, exhaustive as far as the subject is concerned, article about um, um, the the jumbo slice pizza in Washington D.C. So if you read that, that's <laughs> that's basically all my work. Well,
0: let let me let me follow up with one even nerdier question about this, um, <laughs> okay. which is, is sometime around that time where you talk about, you created the w- the Wikipedia page for the pale King is that um, I created a Wikipedia Facebook page, no, a Facebook page for the pale King, which somehow ah. around that time, Facebook, since you also do social media consulting, you probably, you know the history of this, but Thank sometime, you for or, yeah, no problem. Sometime <laughs> around there that they, Facebook brought in all of the Wikipedia like content and it just my fan page like got merged with some like your page which was the Wikipedia page of the book and it was like you couldn't even create a fan page for something that also had a Wikipedia page like what was that about
1: I I do remember (laughs) when when Facebook decided to create all these you know, they they want you to tag everything that you can, and you so know, Wikipedia, being free content, um, is sort of the one thing that all of the major tech companies can agree on. You know, if you if you uh, open up Spotlight on your Apple computer and you start searching, it'll bring in Wikipedia search results, and so Facebook will bring in search results as well. As a nonprofit educational Foundation, you know, Wikipedia is one of the most ubiquitous brands out there, but it's not trying to conquer the world in the same way that you know Bezos and Zuckerberg and Tim Cook are. So it's uh, it's it's weird that it it's it's like I say, it's it's sort of the lingua franca of these major tech companies, and I don't know what that ever really did for Facebook. I, I feel like it was a a thing that was sort of left. Uh, I I, I think when it happened, the idea was that you could then edit that page more on Facebook with with Wikipedia being the basis of of, of these pages, but nothing really ever came of it. And within the Wikipedia community, I can't recall anybody talking about it in the longest time.
0: So anyways, that's kind of random, but it was interesting to me because I remember talking with you about... um, the Pale King, and that yeah. was sort of coming out uh, around the time that we first started talking about this stuff. And around the time you started your company, which I have to say, I feel like I know you like before you did this. And like, I was yeah. very, I remember talking to you about you starting your own company, and I was like, very. Like there was a moment where I was like, fingers crossed that it all works out, and <laughs> oh, and, and, and but me I mean, I, but I mean in a good way. Like I was like, I yeah. really wanted it, it to succeed, but it seemed like a really bold move for like someone who I knew, who was like our age, who <laughs> when it just started right, yeah, his yeah. own company, and you left a pretty comfortable life to go and do that and I felt like I just want to tell you like I'm kinda of proud of you for doing it. Like it's worked out.
1: <laughs> oh and thanks. Like, yeah. Like I, I really
0: admire your company and like what you've done with it. It's really awesome.
1: Oh I, I very much appreciated. I I should say that this project, the Infinite Atlas project um, really marked a, a turning point in the in my in my business career. So it, as as you mm-hmm. note, or I'll fill in a little bit. You know, I would worked as a journalist and then in social media marketing in D.C. And you know, ha- having got into Wikipedia and realizing that you know there was this uh, um, there was this challenge where articles about companies weren't always very good, and yet Wikipedia has this conflict of interest guideline that says you know what, don't edit this page if it's your own company. Um, you know, I, I I set off on my own in 2010 as basically a one one man consultant for the first few months, and added uh, Ollie Ruff's wife as my first um, full time hire, and you know up until the point where we where I was working on Infinite uh, Atlas project, you know it was it was really just me and her working on uh, Wikipedia pages for clients, and then this project put me in touch uh with several people who eventually would come join my team and go from being you know this um you know relatively um you know low profile uh consultancy to become butler inc the um content marketing social media digital marketing agency that it is today and you know the the skills that i developed through trying to organize this whole project uh, again certain contacts that i made were were crucial, and without the Infinite Atlas project, Butler Inc would not exist as it does today. Huh.
0: Uh, That's it's, cool. That's incredible, and the map itself is, like I say, a truly uh, it's a beautiful object. And for anyone who's a fan and wants to um, to have it, it is, it is still available on your website. Is that correct? We'll put a link to it in the show notes, but definitely it's uh, InfiniteAtlas.com, right?
1: Yep, there's a link at the top to the Infinite Shop. Okay,
0: it's in the shop there, right? And browse around the Google Map uh, implementation is beautiful there as well. Yeah, but,
3: it's super cool. Um, and Bill, how many uh, how many prints did you make specifically of the map? What's what's the number?
1: So I am I'm i but in the long term project. So I've sold right now, as of right now, I've sold uh, approaching 700 posters. Each one is numbered as a unique edition. And the maximum number that I will sell is 1079 for reasons that should be apparent to any any yes, listener they sh- of this. They should. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I mean we're uh it's been you know five years since it was released. We're well over the halfway mark and you know we still sell um a, a few a month and sometimes we get bursts of sales and like I go searching Google to see where we got mentioned. And you know we'll run the occasional Facebook ad against it, especially around the holidays. And it oh, makes yeah. a, it makes a great gift. Let me let me add, <laughs> uh, it's cur- it is currently <laughs> we talked about this before. It's currently thirty five dollars in the uh, in the store. However, uh, for a limited time after the release of this uh, podcast, um, I will knock uh, let's say twenty percent off of the sale price for anybody who uses the word concavity. When they go to uh, go to buy it, uh, and if they use the word convexity, uh, I will add twenty percent. <laughs> <case. laughs>
0: Damn <laughs> oh,
1: in addition awesome. to
3: the exchange rate and unfavorable shipping fees, oh, to I know. Canada, so, just another way that Canada gets screwed by the U.S. And the
0: US. But Dave, you're not in Canada anymore. Tell, we were supposed to talk about that's this at the true. top I'm of the not show. Currently but in Canada, tell no. us oh, shipping handling to New Zealand is is, is insane. You do pay shipping handling, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, tell us where you're sitting right now, Dave. Tell us a little bit about what's going on.
3: Oh sure, yeah. Currently, we're uh, my family and I are in uh, Dunedin, which is in the South Island of New Zealand. It's about five hours south of Christchurch. Been here for t- about two weeks because Rachel, who is a guest on episode nineteen, is starting a PhD here at the University of Otago in Peace and Conflict Studies. That was also what her master's was in. Uh, so me and her and Flannery packed up, and we've been down here. It's summer, so I'm, I'm currently sweating in our little uh, campus apartment. And um, it's like 22 degrees outside, and it's gorgeous. Uh, and I just come from January in Canada, so it's a welcome change to be in, you know, shorts and flip flops again. Um, but yeah, that's how, where I am. How close are you to the water? Uh, it's probably about a 15-20 minute walk down to the ocean, wow. which uh, I've been very close to that, but haven't quite taken the extra five minutes from the brewery yet. So <laughs> we'll, maybe in the next <laughs> week or so, I can venture. <laughs> <deeper>. <laughs> There's a really good brewery down there called Emerson's. It's like this beautiful brick building, um, really good beer, very cool showroom. Um, going there tonight to play Netrunner with some guys. Been there a few times before this, so shout out to Emerson's. Good job. Um, yeah, it's great. New Zealand seems like a, a beautiful country. Pretty much everyone here is like um, kind of like Murray from Flight of the Concords, if you're familiar with that show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I wish not quite but that would be that would be a lovely country to visit well we might have to
0: temporarily change the name of the show since we don't have one in Canada one in the US host (laughs) anymore
3: that's true I I was just looking on Infinite Atlas and there's no entry for New Zealand on, on the map so we might have to I don't know (laughs) <laughs> I have to just modify it cre- creatively <laughs> modify something
0: go on a three-year hiatus there is
3: fiji though fiji is on the map as as is brisbane and i was on bris in brisbane on the way here so
1: maybe if maybe there's some infinite like just fan fiction that mentions new zealand <laughs> then we can add another layer
3: yeah it's a jr tolkien mashup with yeah. uh with wallace yeah the yeah. That's awesome. All right, um, Bill Latanzzi. Uh, I want to
0: ask you if there's uh, anything we skipped over, and any final thoughts you have about um, Boston or the map or Wallace in general.
2: Um, let's see. I just two things, I guess. One is I'm always amazed that that Wallace. Uh, I'm amazed at Bill Butler. First of all, that he came. He didn't know Boston. I I learned more tonight about how he. Uh, mm. uh, did it but god he was here for four days and i looked at that his trip (laughs) to boston he got everywhere in four days with no uber (laughs) and no uh, i don't even know if he had gps then so (laughs) it's just amazing um and and wallace himself only lived here for three years and he seemed to know it like the back of his hand and and the other thing i want to say is that if you if you love wallace and you um uh want to pay tribute to him somehow granada house still exists and still does great work and uh, uh, Deb Larson, who's, who is uh, the uh, the character Pat Montessian is based on, um, still runs Granada House. Um, they have mm-hmm. a wonderful website, granadahouse.org. They take donations. Wallace's um, own ex-resident story is on there. So right, yeah. that's a way to, to, to pay tribute to uh, everything Wallace has given us.
3: Oh, that's a great idea, Bill.
0: And, and we'll link to Granada House on our website. Sure, yeah. Um, great. And one other thing I would say about that is there's a... Um, a special edition. I don't know if you guys have seen this. That's a tiny little book um, that is from, it's an excerpt from the Pale King. It's essentially the Chris Vogel story published by Madras right. press. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's available uh, for any price. I think you can just name a fair price and he'll send it to you. Five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. And all the proceeds of that benefit Granada house as well. Oh, great. Also, I didn't know that. That's cool. So, if you want it or you just want to make a donation to Granada House and get a little Wallace special edition book, go to madraspress.com. So that's another cool way. Nice. Um Butler, any final thoughts from you about the map or the process or anything you want people to know out there about um your Wallace obsession? <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, I I I don't know. You know, I I think, um, I, think I think I think Bill's comment on you know uh, uh, paying respects and actually you know paying it forward back to Granada house was was excellent i think you know i'm just you know there's this project when i when i began it i had had no idea what would really become of it i certainly had you know high hopes for it i've always been fairly ambitious i guess if i had this one you know one small footnote to add to it and this is regrettably about me again um, but <laughs> One reason why so, eh, That's stay. okay
3: man that's why you're here.
1: <laughs> one re- one, one one small thing about this that actually uh it brought me that means something as well that i um that that i a connection that it brought me a small one through this project um my only interaction with the late Aaron Swartz. Uh, occurred through the Infinite Boston website when I I think he wrote in to point out that the Auburn Pan in Harvard Square was still operational, which I had um, uh, mistakenly, I I, I didn't find it when I was there in Harvard Square for the like 30 minutes I was. And so he he wrote into the site to say, hey, no, no, it's still there. And so I quickly changed it and gave him a, a shout out. Thanks in at the bottom of the of the post, and you know, for anybody who does not know who Aaron Swartz is, he, um, you know, was uh, another brilliant suicide. Um, who you should go Google this guy. His Wikipedia page tells you everything. He kind of played a role in so many things, from the development of Creative Commons, where he worked with Larry Lessig, to the creation of Reddit. He also was a uh, early Wikipedia contributor and the creator of, of many articles early in Wikipedia's lifetime. And, you know, to the Wallace community, uh, he bestowed what I think is one of the most important essays about the book, where he puts forth in less than a thousand words an extremely persuasive argument about what happens in the year between the uh what you know the AFR descending on ETA and you know Hal's um interview uh, uh in in the year of glad and so I, mm-hmm. I i'd be curious if you guys you know what you got what you think of that but i have always thought that was brilliant and he was brilliant and it's very um very sad that he's gone and so i cherish i didn't know that, that I
0: oh can't. no i'm super familiar that, with wow. this and and he posted it in 2009 i've sent a bunch of people to that explanation because anyone yeah, who really wants too. anyone who really wants to get into the weeds of like what 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 happened at the end of Infinite Jest? That, to me, Aaron Swartz's theory or mini essay is in the running as like mm-hmm. one of one of the canonical answers to that question. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree.
2: It's really good. It's really good. Um,
0: there's another one. This is a another footnote to a footnote to a footnote, but. Um, there's another one. I don't know if any of you guys remember uh, that was posted on Wallace L by a guy named Jason Preston, uh, who's now Jason Coston, and I'll give him a shout out to say he wrote a thing comparing the graveyard scene to in Infinite Jest the, to the graveyard scene in the end of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, huh. and and huh. the tri- the triangle scene in that, and the ghost and the wraith, and the the, the whole theory. I was like, this might be like the best like undergraduate type reading of of (laughs) infinite jest that I've seen. I'll have to dig that one up, but we'll definitely link to Aaron Swartz's, um, yeah. uh, Post. And I, I want to say that he had even posted on Wallace listserv and, uh, Hmm. super, super sad whenever, um, he passed away as well. So, yeah, Hmm. it's only
1: 26. though. Wow. Did so much in a
3: short time.
0: Awful Hmm. case. Awful case. Um, Thank you both for being on the show. Uh, I think we know where to find you. You're both on on Twitter and all the social medias. Obviously, Butler, <laughs> your social media guru. So you were you were all over. Um, Bill, uh, I, I want to give you another shout out, Bill Latanzi, for um, a thing you wrote about Derek Walcott. Oh yeah,
2: uh,
0: I really loved that piece. I think it was on WBUR,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I I, I was a, I haven't got to talk to you about it, but I would love to to go more down. Getting to talk about Derek Walcott with you too. So, uh, you mentioned at the top of the show you were a playwright or you did some some work in the theater, and that, that's obviously uh, a big part of Derek Walcott uh, too. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I we we can talk about that more at
2: some point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, another another podcast. This was great, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. Are you going to be uh, in
0: Illinois this year, Bill? You're going to be in Illinois.
2: I, I am. I'm going to come. I'm not going to talk oh. for the first time. I'm just going to come as a as, as a as a spectator. So I, be good. I think a
0: bunch of us are doing that. I think we're just really? going to go and hang out. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> great. And you
3: bastards. I'm so <laughs> jealous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bill Butler, if you ever want to go and really go, uh, go further, maybe we can um, send some of your maps on consignment to the Wallace Conference. Oh, that's a good and, idea. And yeah. In Illinois or something.
1: I would be happy to. And I, I you you mentioned earlier, I have actually not been to uh, one of these Wallace conferences, and I would really like to get out there. And uh, I just haven't found the the time for it. So one of these days, absolutely. And uh, if somebody would like uh, a poster, um, I I can make that happen. They are they are taking up a corner (laughs) of my apartment that my girlfriend would like to uh, (laughs) reclaim. See vacated. (laughs) Yes, that's awesome. (laughs) Very cool.
0: All right. Thank you both for being on. I've really enjoyed it too, Bill. Both of Bill's, like I've really enjoyed it. So Yeah, yeah it's been
3: fantastic, guys. Thanks for your time. Um, any future or current Wallace or otherwise products on the horizon that we should be looking for from you guys coming down the pike here?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to talk about it, but I'm working on a <laughs> I'm working on a book project. And if it gets finished, uh, you'll hear about it. Okay. I've-
1: my my future Wallace project is finishing the Pale King. I, I regret to oh, confess yeah. that I have not finished it at this point. So there's that. Um, I, I if I can plug one other thing, you know, if you're interested in hearing hearing me be obsessive about something on other podcasts, um, I yeah, have I, I have done I have one current podcast that I do called Enter the Void, which you can find on Apple Podcasts or at Enter the fm is our website. Where uh, myself and a former colleague, we do uh, we, we, we go in depth on one feature film at a time. And our film selection is based around what we consider, what we call, mindfuck movies. So if you go see the list, you'll see Great. why they all fit together, even though they come from all different genres. And the previous show that we did was far more obsessive still. It was called Kubrick Cast. And on this show, uh, we <laughs> would go film by film. Uh, throughout his entire, you know, career, we even did an episode on his short films. We did an episode on, you know, um, we, look, look, we did five episodes on two thousand one. We did multiple episodes on The Shining, and a whole episode on the making of the Shining documentary. So if, if you if you like obsessiveness, you know, Stanley Kubrick is another uh, artist with who with whom I um, am still obsessed with, and so I feel like that was a spiritual successor to the infinite atlas project even though it wasn't specifically wallace
3: right huh you guys have 69 episodes on enter the void which is you know over double what we have on concavity here so just pumping them out that's awesome Uh, (laughs) i see that you guys have quite a few on twin peaks the return which i'd love to talk to you about sometime but i mean i know there's like full podcasts dedicated to discussions of twin peaks so many um yeah pretty sweet that's your guys header right now on your twitter page is uh the black david lynch
1: is david lynch is kind of the anchor of that of that series even though we're doing you know and 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 the podcast is named for the film enter the void by by Gaspar no so if you if you're familiar with that film and you're like whoa that movie was crazy well that's the kind of movie that we talk about on this show (laughs) awesome thanks thanks guys
3: that's great, guys. Um, yeah. Matt, where can the people find us online?
0: We're at con- at Concavity Show on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I guess we have a Facebook page. We don't use it that much, but if you're so that's inclined. True. <laughs> um, we We also love getting email. I think we're at ConcavityShow at gmail.com. Uh, and we we get, sure are. We get a fair number of people who write in, and that's always fun. And uh, In fact, in my inbox right now is probably two or three people uh, people to whom I need to reply that um, have really interesting projects going on around yeah. Wallace. So there's yeah. all kinds of stuff uh, out there happening and we like to hear about it probably best in a long form text rather than 140 characters. Right. I guess <laughs> sure. now 280, 280, but set right, either way, yeah. um, feel free to reach out on all those channels. And um, uh, I guess that's it, Dave.
3: That's right. Yeah. And as usually we want to thank Robin O'Neill and Parquet Courts for their art associated with our show for letting us use it. Uh, Very generous as always. This has been episode 36. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again, Bill. And, Bill, this has been fantastic.
1: Thank you. Thanks, guys.
3: All right. Cool.
0: Oh, shit. I didn't hit record. Let's start over.
1: <laughs> 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 no, Can we do another take? No,
3: no, I'm kidding, I defy no. you. Stop kidding.
0: No. <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> Turn on the white noise murmur of the AM band and the last classic rock bands, last solid record.
1: Yeah, the uh in some of those episodes, we actually have like a like a mindfuck manifesto where we um, <laughs> kind of outline what it is that makes a mindfuck movie. Um, because mm-hmm. they do come from all these genres. Like this season, we did Eternal Sunshine, which is, uh, you right. know, um, it's a, it's a, it's a mindfuck rom com. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> <laughs>